Good morning. We are continuing in our series, Partners in the Gospel. This is week six. Next week will be the, the final week of the Partners in the Gospel series. We will have completed the first two chapters of the book of Philippians. And so we'll begin a new series in Philippians in a couple of weeks after that, starting in chapter three. And, um, but before we get to there, we have a couple more messages. We have this, this, this morning's and next week's. And so you've, you've seen the theme, if you've been here for most of this series, Partners in the Gospel, the theme is unity in the body of Christ. The theme is that we are partners together in the gospel, that the gospel is the greatest news that's ever hit the planet. Do you believe that? The gospel is the greatest news that has ever hit this planet. You can get good news. Some of you, maybe if you win the Powerball, you'd think that'd be really good news. But you know what? You know what is true about the Powerball and the money you get from it? Is that when you die, you don't take any of it with you. It doesn't help you for the afterlife. It doesn't help you to get to heaven. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news, as we said earlier during our communion time, that we, through our faith in Christ, can be with him for eternity in heaven. And there's no amount of money or possessions or good works that we can do that can get us there. And, and, and so we are centered. This is the center point of what we're about. This is what we partner together around, this message. This is why we gather. This is why we have a church. It's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so last week we talked about striving side by side, working together. We talked about the reality that, that it's not always given that churches will always succeed and be prosperous and that we can never take success for granted in our lives, but, in a, but as a church, that we should always be reminded that, that we need each other and that we need to work together for the furtherance of the gospel. And I love what Tina said there, and it is so true that the pumpkin patch is a part of that striving together, working together side by side so that the gospel will move forward in our community. And you know, I, we, when, when we first did the pumpkin patch a few years back, the very first one, you know, there was comments, well, you know, it's, it's centered around Halloween season and all of that. And, and I just want to tell you, God made pumpkins, not the devil. God made pumpkins, not the devil. And I don't know what people do with the pumpkins when they leave, but God made pumpkins, not the devil. And we're going to use them and sell them, and all that money is going to go to missions, and the gospel is going to move forward through, 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 through our lives and through the lives of those that we get to support, and that's what's powerful about the pumpkin patch. I love it. I get to, my, my office is right back there, and I get to raise my window there, and I just, I, when I saw those pallets brought out there uh, on for Thursday or Friday, I think it was Friday, I just started getting that pumpkin patch itch ready for it to come. So it's exciting, but that's what we partner together. We strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. This message this morning is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a, about a partnership that we have, and it's going to be about this reality that we are all in the same battle. We're partnered together in a battle against sin. You know, sin is like an illusion. Sin creates an illusion. Sin in our life creates an illusion. It's an, it's an illusion that we're in control. Sin will create an illusion in our life. When we tolerate sin and we allow sin in our life, it creates this illusion that we are in control. It's kind of like if you ever had a, a small child that you sat them in your lap to drive them, to let them drive. So Reagan always wants to do that. And so we live 
in a subdivision that's connected to my father-in-law's subdivision and street. They connect to each other. There's a connecting street. And so many times we will drive from my house to my father-in-law's house, which is really great. I love living three streets over from my father-in-law. It is such a blessing. And so, so we'll go over there, and most of the time, Reagan wants to sit on my lap, and she wants to drive. She wants to drive, and so she'll put her hand on the steering wheel. And, but, but, but you know what the reality is? As much as she thinks she's driving, who's really driving? Whose foot is on the accelerator? Whose foot is there ready to press the brake? It's my foot. She's not in control. She thinks she's in control. She thinks she's got the power in the wheel, but my hands are always right there. Sometimes my kids get nervous because I move my hands down and they're like, Daddy, she's actually driving. No, she's not actually driving. My hands are right there. And, uh, and so it is with sin in our life. We think we're in control. We think we have our hands on the steering wheel. But when we tolerate sin in, in our life, we realize we're not in control when sin decides to bite. When sin decides to bite back, when sin decides to do what it always does and bring, and bring pain and suffering in our life, then we realize real quickly that we're not in control. And this is what we all face. Is it not what we all face? And, you know, I wrote this statement down in my notes that, that, that we all have the same struggle. We all face the same battles, and we all face the same temptations. And when, when, when I wrote that down, I, I, I heard your thoughts in my thoughts while I was writing that, and I, I heard you say to me, hypothetically, at my desk, no, you don't have the same temptations that I have. No, you don't face the same struggles that I face. And, and I just want to tell you, we do. I do. We all face the same temptations, the same struggles, and the same battle. It's the battle against the world the flesh and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what Ephesians 2 says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world. The world. Following the course of the world. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is, this is the center of our battle. We, there, there, there's a belief system in the world that is anti-Christ and anti-Bible, and that is something that we have to guard and protect and fight against. Then there's Satan himself who wants to, 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 to tempt us and lead us astray. And then there's our flesh that is not redeemed yet that we face temptation from. The world, the flesh, and the devil, the same battle, the same process of being sanctified this is this this battle that we face it's called the process of sanctification as a believer in jesus christ this battle that we're in is the process of of starting out in salvation and progressively becoming more like christ as we go along in our life you guys you guys feel that battle are you in that battle with me am i alone no as believers we should desire spiritual growth and this is our common bond this is our common bond. This is what connects us together, that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. This is what connects us. We're like foreigners and aliens and strangers living in a crazy world. And we, th- th- this earth is not our home, and this is our bond that connects us together, that we, we want to push back against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, when I say the world, I'm talking about a mindset our, the world, the people of the world are our mission field. But the mindsets of our culture and the world, we want to push back against the mindsets of the world. And we want to push back against the, our, our enemy, Satan. And we want, we want to, to, to keep our flesh subjected to the authority of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are connected in this battle. And in this text, we're going to look at in Philippians chapter 2. 
This text gives us some of the most powerful foundational truths about sanctification, about this process that we're all in. And it's really some powerful truths, and we're going to unpack these truths. Three things we're going to look at that will help us in this battle. You guys want some help in your struggle of spiritual growth? Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. This is the text we're going to look at, the text we will unpack this morning. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved... I just love that right there. I love that language. I love the Apostle Paul's language of love to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, my beloved, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. There's two key verses there that really stand out. It's the picture of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And then there's a picture in verse 13 that it is God who works in us, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. And this is the key central two verses of this entire message. And this theme of sanctification is so critical for us, for us to understand some key truths that the Apostle Paul brings out here. So as we think about the spiritual battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, As we think about the sanctification process, there's three things from Philippians 2 that I think will help us. You guys ready for it? You ready? Amen. Some of you are half asleep already. I'm looking at your faces. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The saints don't play till 325. We got a little time here. A little time until they beat the Rams. Get redemption. Philippians 2.12. What does it say there? Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. So the first thing that we see from this text is that we must live out what Christ has worked in. We must live out what Christ has worked in. And that that verse there, it could seem like Paul is encouraging salvation by works. He says, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But does does Paul preach a salvation by works? Is there any other section of Scripture you can read that the Apostle Paul has written that he condones a salvation by works? There's nothing there in all of Paul's letters that you can see that he says that you are saved by your good works. So it's got to mean something different. I mean, Ephesians 2 says this. Paul wrote Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. And so clearly, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from any good works that we can do. That's how someone is born again. It's not by, it's not by good works. It's not by church attendance. It's not by giving money. It's, it's not by just being a good person that we earn salvation. It's through grace and through faith alone in Jesus Christ that we are saved. And what happens after you place your faith in Jesus? When you place your faith and you acknowledge, you recognize that Jesus took your place on the cross. 
And he died for your sins and you, and you recognize that and you declare that and you confess him as your savior and your Lord. What happens? Second Corinthians says that, that, that all of those who have done that, that they become new creations in Jesus Christ. That you become brand new. You become a new creation. You once were dead. Ephesians 2, we read that earlier in, in Ephesians 2, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But now you've been made brand new because of your faith in Christ. So this brand new person, this brand new nature that you have, where does that brand new nature dwell? You can talk back to me in church. Where does that brand new nature live? What houses that new nature? Our flesh, our body, our body houses that new nature. Our body, before we were saved, housed our flesh, right? Housed our sinful nature. Our body housed our sinful nature previously, but now that we are born again, our body houses a new nature in Christ. But that flesh, our mind, our will, our emotions, our thoughts, our actions, our body used to be trained by a sinful nature. But now that we're brand new, our new nature must work out the salvation that has been worked in. Do you get it? You get what Paul is saying there? Our, our new nature has to work out into our life. This salvation that's taking place on the inside, this is what Paul is saying. Work out, live out the salvation that God has done in your life. Work it out in your life. Continually allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. The new nature has to help begin to train our unredeemed body, our body that is subject to temptation and sin. That phrase, work out, when he says work out your own salvation, it means this. It literally means this. To continually work to bring to something to fulfillment or completion. To continually work to bring something to fulfillment or completion. What's that picture? You're saved, right? Point A, point Z is heaven. You're saved, and so you begin to work out in your life the truths of the gospel and their implication in your marriage and in your family and on your job and in your personal life and in, in, with your temptations and your sins, and, and you're allowing the work of God to take place. You've been born again, and then it's brought to completion when we're in heaven and our bodies are redeemed and we're made fully brand new. We're temporarily made brand new right now, right? We're saved, but this body is going to die. But eventually, through this process of sanctification, we progressively become more like Christ. And then one day, when we die, we go home to be with the Lord. Or he raptures us and we get to be with him. And we are fully redeemed. Point A to point Z. This is that middle ground. The working out of our salvation. You you guys follow me? It's not salvation by good works. It's a living out of our life. It's kind of like if you go to the doctor because you have pain. You have pain in your body, and you say, Doc, I got some pain. And, and, and he looks at you, and, and he diagnoses you. He does all the work. He puts his, 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 his tools on you. He checks your heartbeat, and he checks your blood pressure, and he, he does all kind of work on you. And he says, okay, this is the problem. This is the problem, but here's the solution. I'm going to prescribe you this medicine. So now you go, I'm going to tell you, you need to go to the pharmacist, and you need to get this medicine. And you look at him and say, okay, that's, that's, that's what I'm going to do. But then you leave the doctor's office and you don't do anything. Do you still have the problem? But you don't do anything. You got the prescription. Walgreens is waiting on you. 
What do you have to do? You have to work it out. You're the one that has to go to the pharmacy and you got to give them your insurance card. You got to give them your money so you can get the medicine so that, so that you can, you, you can be well. That's the same type of picture. You have to work it out. Nobody's going to do it for you. No one will do it for you. You have to do it. You have to live out the truth that God has revealed in your life and how he has changed you. Simply put, we must live out what Christ has worked in. But you know what I find in the, in the body of Christ? I find an unhealthy mindset about this tension between who I am in Christ and, and, and this tension between who I am and what I'm not. This tension between the transformation God's made in my heart but the weaknesses that I still have in my flesh as a Christian. There's an unhealthy mindset that I see. It's kind of like this resignation to weaknesses and problems with sin. Kind of maybe sounds like this. This is just who I am. This is just who I am. This is just my struggle. This is just my struggle. This is just my weakness. It's kind of like this resigning. Well, you know, that's just who I am. That's really never going to change. I'm really never, never going to progress beyond that. I, that's just who I am. It maybe even be kind of like this. You ever been around somebody and you know that you don't want to be around them when they're mad? Do you, you know anybody like that? Raise your hand if you know somebody that's like that. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> you might not want to raise your hand after what I'm about to say. <laughs> but, but, but you know that person? You don't want to be around them. But what do you know about them? Everyone says it. You got to walk on eggshells around that person because you know when they get mad and when, they, and when you push the, the wrong button, watch out. They're going to let you know. And they're going to make your life miserable. I'm talking about Christians. Talking about Christians. It's just this resigning. That's just who I am. So my question is this. Is the gospel only powerful enough to save us, but not transform us in every area of our life? Do we just have to resign to the fact that we're just going to have these weaknesses? Can not the Holy Spirit change us? Maybe some of you here this morning, you do have that temper. Maybe some of you here this morning, you do have that problem with someone pushing your wrong buttons and and just going off and everyone walks around eggshells while they're around you. I want to tell you, you can grow. You can grow. You can become mature in the faith to where the Holy Spirit can get a hold of your tongue and you can say mean things less and less. And you know, look, look, I'm there, you're there, we're all there. We all have weaknesses and temptations and sins that we deal with as believers in Jesus Christ. But I, I, I don't believe in my life, and I don't believe for you, that you just have to live there. That you just have to say, you know what, it's just the way it's going to be. The gospel is bigger than that. The gospel is not just a point A experience. So this is where we start, we get our fire insurance, and we're good to go. The gospel, we are partnered together around the reality that the gospel saves us, but it sanctifies us and it transforms us and we should be be becoming more like Christ from one glory to the next glory. We should be becoming more like him each and every day. Paul is calling when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's calling for an active pursuit of righteousness. You guys hear me? He's calling for an active pursuit of holiness and purity. He's calling to the believers and he's saying, this is what Christ has done in you. You are made brand new, but you must learn to discipline yourself and work out. And don't allow yourself just to stay in the place of complacency in your area of weaknesses. Because we all have our weaknesses. 
But we don't have to stay there. We can mature and we can grow. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 9. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? What does that mean? When you get saved, some of you still ask me if I was going to run in the 5K. I am not a runner at all. I'm going to cook a chili or a gumbo, Tina. I'm going to do it. I'm going to cook something. I'm going to sign up for it. You, there's no jambalaya? You can do a jambalaya too? Okay, I can decide what, what I'm going to do. Jambalaya or, or gumbo. Or both. Or both. Um, I'm not a runner. But when I got saved, I became a runner. I became a runner. Don't you know? This is, this is the image that Paul's trying to say here, that Christianity is like a race. And for some of you, if, if you say, well, I became a Christian, but I don't want to run this life. I don't want to run this race of the Christian life. I don't want to have to persevere. What happens when you run a race? You got to persevere. It takes work. You got to work out the decision that you made to run the race. And that's what I'm talking about. This is salvation. It is a race. The Christian life is a race. And what does Paul say? Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. That's why I cannot be a physical runner because I don't have self-control in all things, physically. I still like my IBC root beer a little too much. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I'm not just living my Christian life aimlessly, going from one experience to the next experience. I'm taking this life seriously. I do not box as one beating the air, but what does Paul say? I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Wow. This is what you signed up for as a believer. Working out, living out what Christ has worked in. He's changed you. He's given you, listen to this, this is so good. He's given you the ability to change. Before you couldn't, you just would go through New Year's resolutions over and over again before you found Christ, before Christ found you. And after you're born again, now resident on the inside of you is the ability from the Lord to grow, to become more like him, to say no to your flesh, to say no to sin, to say no to impatience, to say no to evil words, to say no to what corrupts and say yes to what is righteous and good and true and just. It's in you because Christ is in you. As believers, we want our sensitivity towards sin to increase, not decrease. Everything in this world today is going to want to desensitize you towards sin. But as believers, we want our sensitivity towards sin to increase, not decrease. I don't want to be watching things on TV and seeing things in the world around me and just be like, well, you know, that doesn't really move me like it used to. When I see that things disagree with what God's standards are, I, I want that to increase, not decrease. As believers, we want our love for the Lord to increase, not grow stagnant. As believers, we want to be quicker to forgive and to love like Christ. As believers, we want to continue to mature into Christ-likeness. Let's sit in this just for a second. Just kind of like, oh my goodness. I hear you, Pastor Ben. But I, I don't know how to do it. I've been making mistakes. I've been failing. I've been blowing it. Yeah, I hear you. I, I want to give up the pornography. I want to give up the alcohol addiction. I want to give up the drug addiction. I want to give up the gossiping. I want to give up the lying. I want to give up. I want to, but I'm struggling. I'm in this, I'm in this battle, and, it's, and I'm losing. You been there? We've all been there. 
And so you're sitting there and you're saying, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know what to do. Where is the hope? Where's the hope? The hope's in the next verse. The Lord doesn't leave us alone. He, he, he calls the Apostle Paul to write, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But then verse 13 is the key. We're going to transition here to the next thought. Verse 13, let's go to Philippians 2, 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's so interesting. He's, Paul says, work it out, live it out, demonstrate in your life what Christ has worked in. And he says, oh, by the way, it's God who does it in you. I love the language there. He says, he says for it is God who works in you both to will, to give you the, the desire. That's what happens at salvation. It gives you the desire and the energy. The will and the, and, and the, and the work. To will and to work. That, that's the energy to do it. He gives you the desire and the energy to live for Christ. That's the hope. That is the hope. So my second point is this. The Holy Spirit empowers our spiritual progress. We must live out what Christ has worked in us in salvation. That's the battle that we are all in. We're partnered together in this reality that we want to become more like Christ. Are you with me in it? But the Lord doesn't leave us alone. He says, I'm going to work in you. And those areas where you have been weak and you've continually been weak, I'm going to give you the resources and the tools that you need that will help you get from point A to point B to point C to point D to point E as you progressively go along in your Christian life. The Holy Spirit empowers our spiritual progress. And I'm thankful for that. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit that lives in all believers is the empowerment that I need to live the Christian life. If I were to ask you who lives your Christian life, what would you say? Who lives your Christian life? Talk, talk to me. Who lives your Christian life? You do. Really? Do you do it? What did we just read? Who lives your Christian life? God does. Wait, wait, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. God can't live my Christian life. Well, that's the, that's the paradox that the Apostle Paul leaves us in. Who, who saved you? Was it God or was it you? Wait a minute. God saved you against your will? No. You've got to believe and place your faith in Jesus Christ. It's those, those paradoxes between God's work in our life and our responsibility. That's throughout all of Scripture. It's throughout all of scripture in, in, in Exodus, there's a section where, where Moses tells the people of God, the Egyptian army, they're coming behind and God tells the, tells the, 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 the children of Israel, just remain calm and rest and see the deliverance of God for he will be with us. And, 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 and God tells them, he, and Moses tells, tells the nation, be silent and just rest and wait and watch what God's going to do. And then God spoke, speaks to Moses and said, Moses, what are you doing? What are you doing? Tell the, tell the people to rise and to cry out. And you lift up, lift up your hand. Lift up your staff. And I will move. So you see the paradox there. There's this rest in the reality that God is going to do the miracle. He's going to do the work. But there's something that we must do as well. It's the Holy Spirit's power at work in our life that empowers us to live. Second Peter Verse chapter one, verses three through four says this. His, 
God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What does that first verse there say in Second Peter? His divine power has granted or has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given us all that we need to live a godly life, to life and godliness. He's given us all that we need. So what are the tools that the Holy Spirit uses as he works in us that help us to move towards Christ-likeness? What are those tools? If it's God working in us, he has to use some tools that will work in us to help us in our spiritual journey. So what are some of those tools? The first one that I, that I think of, and we all, we, we all know this one very clearly, it's the transforming power of God's word. That's the first tool, primary tool. Miss Barbara talked about that. She said, she simply said, she said, she said, pray without ceasing. Read your Bible and come to church. Those are, those are the three tools that I'm going to look at within this second point. These are the tools that the Lord uses in our life. The Holy Spirit uses the transforming power of God's word. Hebrews 4 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God is one of the primary tools that the Holy Spirit will use in our progress of becoming more like Christ each and every day in our life. If you're trying to grow into being like Christ apart from God's word, apart from a daily connection to biblical truth, I just want to tell you, you're not going to grow very quickly in your Christian life. You have to be connected to the truth of God's word on a regular basis, on a daily basis. You must be connected to the power source. The word of God is the truth of God revealed in in words, and you must be connected to that power source. What does the word of God do? It informs you of who God is, but his character and his nature, and it informs you about what about what his expectations are, what his requirements are of us as Christians. So if you're disconnected from that, then you're disconnected from one of the primary tools the Holy Spirit uses on the inside of us to make us more like Jesus. You can't be disconnected from the power source. It's kind of like a husband and wife decided to go duck hunting. Any duck hunters you have in here? Who who hunts ducks? Ducks. So husband and wife says, we're going to go duck hunting. We've never really done it before. But we're going to get all that we need to go duck hunting. So they did what, what we did. We got, us, we got ourselves a beagle. We got Bailey the beagle. We got our first step, right? We got a dog. So the couple gets a dog. They get a hunting dog. And they get all the tools. They get the boat to go out on the water to go duck hunting. And they, and they get all the gear and, and the clothes and the camouflage. And, and they just get all the things that they need to go duck hunting. Or at least they thought they got all the things they need to go duck hunting. They thought, I got a dog. The dog is what we need to go duck hunting. So they go out into the duck blind, and, and they're, they're there all morning. And they're not, they're not catching any ducks. They're like, what is going on? Why are we not getting any ducks? We're duck hunting. What is happening? Why are we not getting any ducks? And the wife finally looks at the husband and says, you know what? Maybe, maybe we're not throwing the dog up high enough. Maybe we're not throwing the dog up high enough. For him to catch the ducks for us. What were they missing? 
the gun. They were missing the shotgun. They were missing the firepower. And so it is in your life. If you don't have the firepower of God's word in your life, your spiritual growth is going to be stunted. You got to have the firepower. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is like a sword. But the word of God is like a dynamite. It can be described as dynamite. And what does the word of God do? What does the dynamite power of God's word do in our life? In this progress of becoming more like Christ? It destroys arguments in our mind, thinking in our mind that is contrary to the truth of Scripture. You guys follow me? The transforming power of God's Word. The second tool the enemy, that, that, that God uses, that the Holy Spirit uses in our life, is the humbling effect of prayer. The humbling effect of prayer. The transforming power of God's Word and the humbling effect of prayer. Listen to this, Matthew 6. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know what's powerful about the Lord's prayer? About the model prayer the Lord gave us? He gave us, it's, it's a model prayer. It's a prayer that should be a picture of the foundation of all of our prayers. What does he say there? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Is there's, there's a submission. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what I want to tell you. In this process of spiritual maturity, as you are working through and submitting to the Holy Spirit in your life and the truth of God's word, you need to humbly hang on to the Lord and say, Lord, let your will be done in my life. God, I need your help. Some of you, as I told you earlier, you feel like you don't have any hope in the weaknesses that you're struggling in. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Cling to him with all of your heart and say, Lord, I cannot do this in my own strength. God, I need your help. I submit myself to you. There's a humbling effect to prayer. Prayer is our declaration of dependence on the Lord. When we declare to him, we say, God, not my will, but your will be done. Not what I want, but I want your word, your will to be done in my life, and I need your help. So if you're here this morning and you're struggling in these areas of weaknesses or sin, I want to tell you, cling to the Lord in prayer. William Carey, famous missionary, said this about prayer. He says, prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer, lies at the root of all personal godliness. Secret, fervent prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. That's where it starts, where you plead with the Lord. You say, Lord, I don't want to be that husband anymore. That, that, that's not a godly husband. I don't want to be that type of ungodly wife. I don't want to be somebody that's, that's staying addicted to whatever I'm addicted to. I don't want to be the person that flies off the handle when things don't go my way. God, I want to change. I need the power of your word to wash my mind and my thoughts. That's a tool the Holy Spirit uses in our life. The humbling effect of prayer. And lastly, what does the Holy Spirit use? What's another tool? It's relationships within the body of Christ. Relationships within the body of Christ. I love Galatians 6. One of my favorite scriptures about the power of the body of Christ. It says this, brothers, if anyone. This is talking to us as believers. He says, brothers. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. You who are spiritual should restore him with the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law 
of Christ. I love what Paul says there. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, what does the word any mean? What does the word any cover? Everything. Sometimes as believers, we think, well, that's just a sin that I just really can't bring to the light because if I bring that sin to the light, then people are going to ostracize me. They're going to push me out. They're going to say that you're too far gone. You've done too much. What does God's word tell us? Brothers, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. If anyone, if anyone here at Living Word Church that names the name of Christ is caught in any transgression, if you claim to be spiritual, if you say you are spiritual, you should restore that one with a sense of meekness and gentleness because the reality is, is that we can all be tempted in any of those areas. And I love what he says there. He says that we're called to bear one another's burdens. That's the power of the body of Christ. And that's one of the tools the Holy Spirit uses in our sanctification process. So here's what I want to tell you. You need a circle in your life. This is too big of a circle. This is, this is a too big, this is a semicircle right here, right? This is too big. If this is all, if all you do is come and sit in this semicircle every Sunday, that's too big of a circle. You need a circle. You need a smaller circle of people in your life. Where's your circle of people, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you are connected to? What circle are you in? Maybe you're in a life group. That's a good circle to be a part of, brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you're connected in women's ministry, men's ministry. Maybe you're in a D group. That's a great circle to be a part of. You need a circle. And maybe the circle starts with two people. You know, right? You got two people and you're holding hands. It's a, it's a circle. Maybe it just starts with two people. Who in your life can you support and help? Because here's what happens. We start waiting for somebody to come and tell us, hey, I want you to come and be a part of my group. But if you're struggling in areas of your life right now, you can't wait for somebody to come and ask you to be a part of their group. You've got to seek the help out. You've got to seek the circle out. You've got to seek the group out and say, I need some help. I need to hold hands with somebody that can walk me through this. That is the power of the body of Christ. The circle might only start as two people, but we all need spiritual support within the body. So this is how the Holy Spirit works in us. He, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But it is God who works in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. How does God deal with our will, our desire, and our actions? He gives us these tools through the power of the Holy Spirit, his word and prayer and connection within the body that will help us to live out what Christ has worked in. You guys follow me? Live out what Christ has worked in. So as we submit to the working of the Holy Spirit in our life through these ordinary means of grace, God is continually at work in us, empowering us to live for him. Amen? And you know what's going to happen? Maybe it's already happened for some of you. But you know what can happen? Somebody that knows you and knows your weaknesses and knows your struggles. Maybe they're the ones been walking on eggshells around you. And you start getting serious about your spiritual life. And all of a sudden, you get in a situation, you don't fly off the handle. You don't do what you used to do. And someone's going to look at you and say, who are you? What happened to you? What happened? And it's simple. The word of God, the power of prayer, and connection to the body. The Holy Spirit used all of those things to change me. I changed. I repented. I repented. And I changed. God did the work in me. And he changed me. Who are you? What happened? That's what can take place. Here's what I tell you. Don't give up. 
Don't give up. Don't be discouraged in your struggle. Don't throw in the towel. Don't just be like I said earlier, just resigned. This is my weakness. This is my struggle. Don't do it. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't be so discouraged that you say, I'm just going to be like this forever. If you are born again, you can become more like Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and the ordinary means of grace that he has given us. Amen? Amen. Listen to this, Philippians 4. We're going to study this later on in Philippians. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Here's the picture of working and God working. Practice these things. Work out your salvation. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen? The third thing we want to bring out here, as we, as we kind of round the corner here, we see this beautiful kind of move back and forth that God is working in us and we are working out and, and that something's going to happen. As we said earlier, people are going to begin to notice that we're different. And that's what Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says. Back to the text in Philippians 2. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. The third thing that helps us in this process is to understand this is that a sanctified life shines brightly in a twisted world. A sanctified life, a life that is set apart unto God and holiness and purity, a sanctified, set apart life shines brightly in a twisted world. A sanctified life that is set apart will stand out in our world today. And for some people, that's where their form of Christianity ends right there. Their false form of Christianity ends right there. Because they don't mind associating with Christ. They don't mind getting the fire insurance. But whenever it starts to impact the way they live into the world around them, they don't want that. But here's the truth. If you have been saved and you are being transformed, you will stand out in the world. It's like a bullseye on your back. It, it, it should be a bullseye on your back. As a Christian, as we said earlier, we're like strangers and aliens in this world. And so when you don't talk like everyone else talks, when you don't value what everyone else values, when you seek godliness and purity and holiness and righteousness, you will look different and people will look at you. Those that are not saved will, will look at you and say, who are you? What are you? Why do you think that way? Why do you act that way? And we shine brightly. It's like a spotlight on your life. Why, do, why are you happy? Why are you filled with peace? You have cancer, yet you're at peace. You've been going through this, yet you're at peace. A sanctified life will stand out in our world today. You know what's interesting when the Apostle Paul says, he says this. Let's go back to the text there. He says, he says that, we will be blameless children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Crooked and twisted. That word crooked is literally translated from the word scoliosis. And scoliosis is, is a curvature of the spine. The spine is meant to be straight, meant to be correct, to, for, for, for the body to work around. And someone with scoliosis has a, has a spine that's not normal. It's, it's crooked. It's twisted. And so you have problems in your life because of your scoliosis. And so he says this, that as believers, we live in the midst of a world that is crooked. That there's a standard 
There's a standard of righteousness and truth, and we live in the midst of a world that has scoliosis. They've come off the standard. They're crooked off of the standard. They've strayed from the standard. But then he says this. It's the midst, it, we, we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted world, generation. So that word twisted is simply put in there to add emphasis. He says it's crooked, but the deviation is so much in our world today that it is, it is so off-center and so away from the standard. Twisted adds emphasis to the point. This is someone who has strayed so far from the standard that his deviation is extreme. And our world today, our culture today is, is continually straying so far from the standard of the truth of God's word. It has scoliosis to the max as concerning biblical truth and what God's word says. We, are, we live in the midst of a twisted and a crooked, a crooked and a twisted generation. And we're called to shine as lights. We're called to shine as lights. Our world des- is in desperate need of the gospel. Our culture has strayed so far from the standard of righteousness. I want to read something for you. And many of you have read this before. And if you're going through the Romans study in your D group, you have read this already. Romans chapter 1. And I, I, I want to read all of these verses because I want you to feel how we in America, in our world today, look just like what Romans 1 says. You guys ready? Romans 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor, God, honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up, or it could be translated, gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They said, I'd rather believe in a lie than believe in God. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up, gave them over to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since God, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were all filled. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree or his standard, they, that, that, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval. And some translations say hearty approval to those who practice them. You guys see where we are today? The Bible spoke to it long ago. That is where we are in our culture. And here's what I want to tell you. The world doesn't need less Christians living out their faith today. We need more Christians living out their faith today. We need more Christians living in the midst of a twisted and perverse generation. 
We need more believers who will commit to the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to work out what Christ has worked in. We need more of you that will stand up, us together, partner together in this battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We need more of us that will not throw in the towel, that will not give up and not give in to the sway of the culture, but will stand as shining lights of the power of the gospel. We need more believers standing up for what the gospel can do. Our world needs to see what the gospel has the power to do in someone's life. The world needs to see. The world doesn't need us to, to, to stand up and just come up with a list of all the things they're doing wrong. The world needs to see somebody who will, yes, hold up that standard, but will say, this is what Christ has done in me. This is how he has transformed me. Is that you here this morning? Who has God transformed here this morning? What areas of your life have you been changed in? Has God transformed you? The world needs you to demonstrate through your life that God can take a broken, messed up, sinful, disobedient, depressed, anxiety-filled, angry, hateful, envious, faithless, heartless, ruthless, gossiper, slanderer, boastful, hater of God and can completely forgive, redeem, and transform that person from the inside out. That's what the world needs to see. That's what the world needs to see. That they can be forgiven and they can be cleansed and they can be healed and they can be whole. And that's what we get the responsibility to do. So if you think, if you think that your spiritual maturity process really doesn't matter, I want you to know that it does. If you think, we went back, as we think, go back in our thinking to the first part of this message, if you think that those weaknesses that maybe you're just living in a resignation to, it really doesn't matter, it doesn't impact anything, it does. That whenever you recognize that your weaknesses don't have to stay that way, that you can walk free. Look at what it can do in someone's life. Somebody can look at you and say, I don't know how you got from there to there. I don't know what happened, but you're talking about this Jesus guy, and he must have done something for you. And, you, and, and you're able to testify in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation to the power of the gospel. And that's the battle that we're all in. We're partners together. Are you partnered with me? We're partners together in that battle, in that process. So I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Whatever areas you're struggling in, whatever sins you're struggling in, don't give up the battle. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Next verse is so powerful. And such were some of you. So before we get all pious and holier than now, Apostle Paul wants to remind us, and such were some of you. But what's the next verse say? But you were washed. Amen. That's good stuff right there. But you were washed and you were sanctified. 
You were washed at salvation and you were sanctified. God worked out what he has worked in. You were washed, you were cleansed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by what? And by the Spirit of God. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? We love you, Lord, and your work in us, working out from within, working out from within. God, you change us and transform us. Thank you for that reality. So there's some of you here this morning, you're not in relationship with Christ. You've never been made brand new. You've never been washed and cleansed from your sin. And I want to tell you that today you can do that. You can place your faith in Jesus Christ today. And he can forgive your sins and cleanse you and make you whole. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been struggling with an area of sin in your life as a believer and you've just been almost tempted just to give up hope, just to throw in the towel and say, I'm never going to be able to change. You can be cleansed and healed today. And you can begin a process of of God transforming you from the inside out. And you can lay down that sin and lay down that temptation. And God can work in you. Once you bow your heads with me this morning. If that's you this morning, if that's you this morning, whether, whether you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, or maybe you, you, you're struggling with an area of sin in your life and you don't know how to get rid of it. You've been struggling and, you've, and you're struggling in your life right now. If that's you, if you need to place your faith in Jesus or you need help in your life right now in an area of sin, if that's you, I just want to see your hand. Who in here fits those categories? Yes. Anybody else? Yeah, that, that's just you surrendering to the Lord saying, God, yes, that's, that's, that, that's me. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Anybody else? Anybody else? I want to pray for us this morning. I'm going to pray. I'm going to end in prayer. And if you want to confess Christ, if you want to pray with me personally, I'll be in a prayer room and it'll be on this hallway right over there. And I want to talk to you further about what salvation means. If that's you, if you, have, if you want to confess Christ, I will be there after I pray. But I want to pray for us before we're dismissed. God, I thank you for the work of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. God, I pray for those, Lord, that have never confessed Christ. Lord, I pray that they would make that decision today and that they would pray to confess Jesus as Lord in their life. And God, I pray for all of us as believers that are struggling in areas of sin. Lord, I pray that we would not just resign ourselves to this reality that we will always struggle. If there are those here this morning, you've been addicted to pornography. You've been addicted to alcohol or drugs. You've been addicted to something in your life, a substance. You've been addicted to something. I I pray that today that you will lean on the Holy Spirit, that you will allow him to do a work in your life. And I pray that you would be set free in the name of Jesus, that you will walk free today. Don't just throw in the towel. There is hope. And God has given us the resources we need to walk in newness of life. God, I thank you for your work in our body. Thank you that we get to shine as light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I pray that we would never lose sight of that and what we're called to do. We thank you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. I'll see you next week.